Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today, my guest is the actor, activist, and playwright, Griffin Matthews. He was in season three of the acclaimed series, Dear White People, and more recently, he can be found stealing scenes in the best way possible on the HBO Max series, The Flight Attendant. I should note that this interview was recorded in mid-December. Griffin, first of all, I'm just so excited uh, to talk with you. I talked to you about The Flight Attendant and some of your other work. So thank you for joining us on CNET's I'm So Obsessed. I'm so obsessed to be here. So thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first, let's jump right into it. So you're on uh, a new HBO show called uh, The Flight Attendant. Can you describe what that show's about. Yeah, The the Flight Attendant on HBO Max is a show that uh, is birthed out of this experience of Cassie, who is played by Kaylee Cuoco. She is a flight attendant in the first cabin crew. Uh, she flies to Bangkok, gets blackout drunk, lands in a hotel room and a bed that is not hers next to a dead man who is brutally murdered and all hell breaks loose. It becomes a big murder mystery, and my character, Shane, is a part of that first-class uh, cabin crew, and I get pulled into the madness, and Rosie Perez's character, Megan, gets pulled into the madness. Everyone gets pulled into the madness, and so it's a fun it's a fun watch. It's a fun pandemic watch. And I think what's interesting, too, is it's a mystery, but it's also very funny. It's a comedy, and it's got this really kind of unique style and energy to it. I don't know if you could talk a little bit about that. Oh, it was it was horrifying to get those scripts because, you know, when you're making something new, you don't know how to navigate a murder mystery plus it's funny. And so especially my character, because I I, I have quite a bit of the comedy in, in the series. So we were always asking questions about the tone of the show and how do we you know, really deliver the comedy inside of what are some really dark circumstances. And um, so we took a leap. We we really did. We took a leap. Our showrunners, Steve and Meredith and Marcy, were just like, keep going. Don't second guess yourself. Just go. And so I I think you see it on the screen. I think you see us really risking and leaping and improving and... It's just madness. It's silly, but it blends together so well, which I think is why it's like you know, uh, it's compelling the story, but also the characters. But again, once you're laughing, and the next second you might be shocked. I, I think that's a safe word to say. Um, and then another second you're laughing again. And I think I, I just didn't expect that, and I'm, I'm not sure a lot of people would. Um, I think that's. I think that's like. That's so far what I've heard from a lot of people who have seen it. That That is the thing that hooks you into the series. Because certainly in 2020, it, it's like we're laughing and then we're shocked. And then we're crying. Somehow I think it's resonating in a way that I'm not sure if it would have if we weren't in the middle of a global pandemic and an election year. It's just like it's been crazy for the country. And so I think the show is eerily reflecting that. And it's also weird watching it because um, I think a lot of people have not traveled. So in a weird way, it's a fantasy <laughs> series where you're like, oh, yeah, that's what it was like to be able to freely go anywhere in the world. Um, I'm wondering when you're watching it now, what is it like versus when you were filming it? 
Oh, you know what's kind of amazing? It, first of all, I'm locked in my house. I'm in Los Angeles, locked in my house with two children, eight chickens, a husband. It's, you know, we've been doing this since March. We're going stir crazy over here. Um, but it is it is so true because our show is about traveling. It is an escape every Thursday night when the show comes on. We're just like, let's escape. Now we're in Bangkok. Now we're in Rome. Now we're in New York. So I'm watching the show also feeling the nostalgia of what we what we shot because it's weird to look at the scenes and no one's wearing masks and we're just like eating and drinking and it's so crazy. So, you know, the show definitely is my my escape, remembering what it was like to shoot in Rome. Rome was my favorite place that we shot in. Um, I've been telling, I'm black. I told my husband, I'm actually Italian. I've now found my roots. I'm actually <laughs> from Rome. That's what the Lord told me while I was filming there. It, it was amazing. The food, the people, the culture. God, I, I, the, the, the best thing to do when you're traveling is it just gives you like a perspective on the world, you know, just on our country, on the world, on the work we have to do. Those are my, my Rome revelations. And also the fashion in Rome is insane. So. There's that. Um, what was it like on set? What's the environment like? Is it pretty loose? Is it tight? Is it, you mentioned improv. Is it like, were you guys like riffing on lines and stuff? Yeah. The, the really, the tone on set is set by the number one person on the call sheet. And that's Kaylee Cuoco on our show. Um, she showed up every day, ready to rumble, ready to play, ready to, to work. And I think it really did set the tone for the entire cast. It's boring to say this, but we're actually, we get along beautifully. Like we're friends. Um, <laughs> I think it had to do with the fact that we were traveling together so quickly. Like we got the show, the show started production and we were in Thailand in like two weeks after we started. So we had to fly across the world. We're in our pajamas. We're in our glasses. We're, you know, we don't look like, <laughs> like a bunch of actors. We look like, you know, a bunch of schlubs were just like we, we, had to, we had to quickly get to know each other in real life um so so the set is fun and also because of that tone thing about like there's comedy and yes sometimes we're improving off the script which we were encouraged to do you had to stay on your toes like you can't go to sleep it, it, when we're shooting you gotta be on your toes and um and that just kind of made it like I, I always say it was like adult summer camp we were just like enjoying <laughs> each other eating lunch with each other. Like it was really kind of magical. And so I think honestly, like the, the filming of it, I, as the series keeps going, you'll see if you're, if you're watching, the show gets more and more intense. And for an actor like myself, I'd never really gotten to be as physical and as alive in my body as I am on this show. So I'm excited for people to, to really get to see the full story um, that spills out from episode to episode. Well, and um, you were talking about Kaylee, and I think a lot of people probably know her best from The Big Bang Theory. And in The Flight Attendant, she is absolutely fantastic in this role. But something else I noticed is you, your character and her character have this really great chemistry on screen. And I'm wondering if you could identify maybe where that comes from or did that just happen? Yeah, well, we hate each other in real life. Kaylee and I are enemies. Um <laughs> You know what's crazy? We like my audition with her. I had to do a chemistry. That was my final audition here in LA. And I walked in the room. I'm, I'm super nervous. You're always super nervous because there's a lot of incredible actors. And for whatever reason, Kaylee Cuoco and I had instant chemistry from the door. 
I liked her from the door. I think she liked me from the door. And so when we sat down to do the scenes, it just felt like we were talking, we were talking about our lives, then we do the scene. And then we talk about our lives, then we do another scene. Like, it just felt like we weren't even really acting. We were just, it was just alive for us. And sometimes it's really like, and listen, I've had chemistry reads with other people and they're garbage. I've just, I've done <laughs> many a chemistry read. There's no, it's like a date. There's no chemistry. You walk in and you're like, yeah, it's not the person. Um, but yeah, we just, we had an, an incredible rapport and, and I think it is on the screen. Like when you see us acting on screen, we're kind of doing that in life together. So we just wanted to make our friendship alive um, on the screen so that people really believe that these people have traveled the world together and that they've been to bars and kissed boys, had dinners, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> I think it works really well. And I'm curious, mm -hmm. after going through filming this and as the, the episodes are rolling out, what do you take away from having played Shane? I think for me, what feels really important in my life right now and in my work is just authenticity. It's something that's so hard. I mean, for for those who obviously cannot see me, I'm five nine, skinny, black, and gay as hell, and there, that that is a limited thing in this business as far as roles are concerned. And sometimes then when you get the roles, you're sort of like trying to figure out how to really bring life to them and humanity to them, and not just be like the funny gay best friend. Um, which I've done many times in my in my career, and so I, I, with this particular role, I wanted Shane to feel like a human being. This is strangely enough, this is my first adult role. I, I only play college kids on television. Um, I'm not in college, but I wanted to. I wanted Shane to feel like he had some weight, some gravity to him, um, and and honestly, I think through a lot of conversations with Kaylee. And our Steve runner show, uh, our showrunner Steve, um, we just had conversations about the way that Shane's sexuality and personality had to be on screen. It had to be alive. It had to be authentic. Um, so that that was kind of my my main focus. So I hope that people, when they see Shane, I hope that they relate to him. That they see a whole person and not just you know a, a silly gay best friend which is everything we wanted to avoid uh, well of the of the, of the episodes i've seen so far i think you're very successful matt and so are the writers and um you've mentioned a couple times steve i think is his full name if i'm saying it right yeah. steve yaki is that how you say it yeah. Yep. yeah he was also a playwright i'm wondering if your background in theater and um having been a playwright ever came up Oh my God, Steve, Yaki and I, we didn't know each other before this, but we knew of each other. He had seen a, a production that I had written. Uh, and and I think we like were actually in the same season at a theater company, but we just, our, my show was first, his show followed. So we, we knew each, each other. One of my college classmates was roommates with Steve here in LA. <laughs> I did not know that until the show started. He was like, are you doing Steve Yaki's show? It's, so it's a very small world in, in, in this industry, certainly for playwrights. Um, but this was my first time really get, working with Steve and, and getting to know him. I flew home from Thailand with Steve, 13 hours next to Steve Yaki. You get to know a person. <laughs> well, and then another amazing person in the show is, uh, I love her, Rosie Perez. And um, this is a silly question, but I'm wondering, what is your favorite Rosie Perez movie? 
Can I tell you something? I had never seen, um, what is it, Do the Right Thing? That's what it's called. <gasps> yeah. I never saw that movie. I don't know what happened. I don't know if, what my parents were doing. Like, why didn't they show me this movie? I never <laughs> saw that movie until literally two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I saw the movie. And I had seen Rosie doing like dancing and choreographing and some of her just like, you know, her dance work. But what I, but I saw Do the Right Thing a couple of weeks ago and it was incredible to see her as a young actress. You know why she's Rosie Perez. You see that movie and you're like, I know why you blew up. I get it. I get it now. For for me, my experience of her is she's like a kind woman who is on some level a mentor, you know? So like, it's weird to go back and look at her in her early, early days and see the fire that was on screen. There is literal fire on screen. So that, that was, that, that working with her has been so exciting. And so also like we had this moment in Rome, Rosie pulled me into her trailer and kind of like told me how she became Rosie Perez. And it was a moment that I had been waiting for since we started filming. Um, and something that I was really grateful for. You know, I think we have to hear how certainly women of color have succeeded in this business. We got to hear those stories. And I had not personally heard those stories. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed our work time together. Okay, I feel a little bit stalkery asking you this question, but since uh, we are on the opposite coast, I don't feel like that's a threat to you. No, but I've noticed you. on <laughs> I noticed on like your uh, social media that you are an incredibly stylish person, especially in particular when it comes to hats. And I'm wondering where does that come from for you? Okay, first of all, this is my favorite topic. Um, <laughs> I, I look. I think that. Part of, I think part, I, I was just thinking about my childhood photo. There's a photo of me when I'm like two years old. I'm sitting on the stairs, these rust colored carpet stairs from the 80s. Uh, and I'm wearing my Mr. Rogers t shirt. I have three belts on, beads, and gloves. It, it's like <laughs> the gayest little two year old you've ever seen. And so, like, fashion has always been a part of my life. It's also interesting because I have a two-year-old now, so I see you either are you either like fashion or you don't. It's either in you or it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's just like another means of expression for me. So I, I became obsessed with hats and and truly pushing the boundaries of male fashion. I think it's because I'm so thin that like when I I can't go into American Eagle and just like buy pants. I can't do it. I have to go into stores that certainly European based stores where the cuts are slimmer and just to like, you know, kind of look like the clothes actually fit me. Um, But no, I think fashion is, it's like another expression of myself. It's just another, certainly now that we're able to, you're seeing men start to like feminize their their fashion choices it's it's i've always wanted to do that and i've always been doing that um and now it's just kind of part of the the cultural conversation but when i was in rome i found a bunch of thrift stores and i cleaned out those thrift stores and you could not believe the incredible clothes you can find in rome they're thrift stores i mean it's just like 
it was a dream. I had to call a taxi. The people, the owner of the store, had to call me. They had to call me. I couldn't get my. I couldn't walk home. I had to get a taxi called. Um, but no, it's just it's. It's it's funny too now that we're all in our houses. I bought all these clothes thinking, oh, we'll be doing events and lunches and red carpets, and I all the clothes are hanging in my closet. I wear the same thing every day: uh, sweatpants and a sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you know you're talking about more on my level, but I think it's also like <laughs> you go to Rome, and that is such an Italy is such a um, kind of a mecca of always of being talented. Yeah. So you're starting at such a higher level that even yeah. something like at a thrift store level is probably especially being a, a person of your build and um, uh, stature that you're going to find a lot more options for that. The other thing I noticed too, is that during quarantine, whereas a lot of people got into knitting and making sourdough, yeah. you added a chicken coop and you mentioned it earlier. You have chickens in your household. Tell me about that. We, we listen, we we're a generation of tech. All we do is technology. So we have these houses and we can barely grow a flower and we were just like, oh, God, we're locked in our house. We have no f- – what if What if the food runs out? What if What if the world crumbles? So we decided to go to get a chicken coop. Uh, it became a project that was like I, – I wanted two chickens. I, I have eight chickens, a massive chicken <laughs> back there. They're gay chickens. They're not even like regular chickens. They have like pretty feathers and polka dots. Yeah, they're totally gay chickens. And – and I, strange, and I love them. I didn't think that I would love that they're laying eggs. We eat them every morning. I love these chickens. Both Matt and I, my husband Matt, both of our grandfathers had farms, and and they fed their families off of the land. And it it was it's been like a really cool return to simplicity and figuring out we grew a garden, and now we have these chickens, and it's been it's been a beautiful little pandemic pivot. Well, when the pandemic's over, I'm taking this as an invite to have some fresh eggs at your house with some fresh birds in your garden. Hurry up. (laughs) So the name of this podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. And Griffin, what are you currently obsessed with? See, I just gave my chicken answer, and so that won't work. Um, my current obsession, but I May Destroy You destroyed me. I don't know if anyone's seen that show, but it is a destroyer. It's a, a show by this writer-actress named Michaela Cole. I, it's all that I ever want to do in life is to create something like I May Destroy You. So that has been a current obsession of mine. I've been reading books. I just read a book called My Dark Vanessa, um, which seems like a, a weird book for for <laughs> for me to be reading, but it's a book about um. Well, I shouldn't give it away, but it's it's a book that has a lot to do with the Me Too movement. It's not it's not very clinical. It it's it's like a story. It's a story you read the story of this girl, and oh my, I I don't generally read a lot of books, but I read this book on a recommendation, and I found myself in the corner, ugly crying. I do not ugly cry. Oh wow. I was ugly crying. I think it's because, you know, this whole time in 2020, we've been really reevaluating who we are as a society and people and what we believe in and how we got to the places that we got to. And so anyways, that book, oh, it wrecked me. I think, I don't know. It was, it's about girls and there's men in the book. And I found myself peering at girls and I don't mean it in a, in a, 
in an eerie way, but peering at girls and going, oh my God, this is how we treat girls. Mm. So you're reading this incredible story and it made me reevaluate the way that I want to interact with girls and then women and other men. I'm, I'm going to have to read that. And also going back to I May Destroy You, that's also on HBO Max for um, those who are listening too. I have not, and actually as soon as you, you're like the third person who has hinted at this or recommended I watch this, and it just looks phenomenal, um, but I have not seen it all. And it's, um, it's so good. it looks intense it's really as well. So good. It's so intense, but you know what? It's got that same flavor as The Flight Attendant where it's really, really intense and then funny. I mean, the circumstances of that show are so, 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 so dark, and then it's so, so funny. And the, the performances are so nuanced. It's British. It is so good. It takes you two seconds and you're like, I love this show. And then every episode just gets better and better. It's another kind of mystery show. Every episode gets better and better. I want to meet her so bad. When we get out of this pandemic, I want to meet Michaela. I think one thing uh, with HBO Max and HBO and its history is just those kinds of series and giving and giving voice more recently to um, maybe artists and stuff that we normally wouldn't see on a screen or have a series. And I think it's really exciting. Um, I think speak, yeah. speaking of that, you were on the series, Dear White People. And what I was that experience like? That experience for me, look, I got that show at a very slippery point in my career where, where I was having a hard time working and I got it kind of at a low point. It's, it's, you know, this career goes up and down, especially when you're a person that looks like me, it, it is up and down. And, um, I got that series and it really resurrected my, my self-esteem and my place in this business. It gave me a family and a home to really, really, I mean, again, it's a funny show that, that, the character I played, Deontay, he was so loud and so unapologetic and so queer and so fabulous. And I was feeling so not those things <laughs> that it, just, it like it really resurrected me. I think that I would not have gotten the flight attendant if I had not played Deontay because he gave me so much confidence. It's weird. Sometimes like roles will actually change your own DNA. And, and, it, and that was what that experience was for me. Another experience I want to talk about, if you feel comfortable, is you co-wrote the musical The Invisible Thread, which ran off Broadway. And and I read that it wasn't um, necessarily a rewarding process for you. I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that, you know, in light of the Black Lives Matter movement that happened uh, back, I think it was in March, really, I felt like the, the whole idea of police brutality is not that policing happens only in the streets, but it happens in our workplaces. And so for me, creating that that musical as beautiful as it was, and I, I love that show. It was a personal story for me. Um, I was also awakened to the intense amount of racism inside of this business. Being a Black writer, I was also in the show, a Black actor, working in a predominantly Black cast. And the way that we were treated, the way I was personally treated, 
it just wasn't it wasn't up to par with what I was seeing from my white counterparts. And so um, I decided to speak out on it um, while we were all locked into our, our houses in this pandemic. And, and the response that I got from the, I made a video on my Instagram page called Dear Amy Cooper, Broadway is Racist. And in the course of like two or three days, over a million people had seen the video and it, it obviously rocked my life because I thought, 800 people were going to see it. Um, but I think it caught fire in the industry because my story was not unique. And and it was something Broadway has got to deal with itself. There's white show after white show. One of the things that I said in the video is white people can reach the pinnacle of success on Broadway and never, ever have to interact with a person of color. We cannot do that. And that is how you know you're inside of a white supremacist system. When you don't have to deal with black people or anybody of color to win a Tony or to make a million dollars, that's that's an unfair setup. So anyway, so that conversation has really been launched and I've been a part of a lot of panels and you know behind the scenes conversations about how we can fix Broadway. And also I've been in, inside of panels for Hollywood too, because Hollywood's got its own issues. Um, so anyways, I think it's the time for this for this conversation to really take place while Broadway is closed and all the theaters are closed and the movie theaters are closed, the business, the Hollywood's closed. It's the right time to really take a look and go, um, how can we fix this this racism issue? So it shouldn't just be on um, you or other black artists to speak up about those experiences. And I think that's what was amazing about that video. I didn't know you at the time, but just seeing how many fellow theater people from Chicago and Milwaukee, where I did a lot of theater, um, were posting that or sharing that or sharing their experience. was really eye-opening. Um, on, a, on a more upbeat uh, thing, you I, I know you attended Carnegie Mellon to study musical theater, and I'm curious, was that more as a performer or a writer? I went to Carnegie Mellon and studied musical theater. So I was singing, acting, dancing at... Uh, for it's a conservatory program so i literally did nothing else but sing act and dance for four years i did not take science i did not take math it is <laughs> training for the olympics it's the olympics of this business so it was an intense intense program you know it, it graduates some really incredible artists because i think it's such a pressure cooker that that it's like either you either can hang in or you're out so um so yeah, it was a really amazing and also tough, tough experience to get through Carnegie Mellon. Well, and this is a, a, a what if, and I and I'm curious to see what your answer is. But if you could put pick any musical to perform in, what would it be? Oh God, how dare you! Cannot ask these. You can't ask these. <laughs> or let, I'll, re, I'll rephrase it this way: I'm going to produce a musical, and I'm having a hard time choosing. Which one should I produce so you could be in it? <laughs> Thank you. That's so much better. It's just an easier answer. I, mm -hmm. You know the musical I really wanted to be in that I never could get into? I think it's because by the time I graduated, it was so popular. There were so many casting calls and like the, the wait list to even get in the musical is insane. I really wanted to be in Rent. I really <gasps> Yo. wanted to be in Rent. Yes. Who do you want to play in that? I want to play everyone. I wanted to play, well, I, I, you know, for a while it was that I could only play like Tom Collins, but I really think that I would have been an angel. 
And especially if I could go back, like, you know, I, I think about shows that I would want to revive and rent is one of those shows that I'd want to revive when I'm much later, much, 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 much later in my life. Because I think that we learned things about who those people are and were. And I think Angel was way more complex than just a drag queen, right? Like, I think we, those, that was the language that we had for Angel then. And now I think Angel was probably transgender, right? And, and, and that was like a revelation as the show goes on. The show is growing as it continues um, down the path. And so I, as a director, I would love to get my hands on rent just to like, to reinvent it and, and really, you know, bring it into the current, world that we're living in i feel like i could talk with you for another hour but i just i do want to wrap up and we do a thing called pick one and i give you a few different choices and you pick one and so the first one i have is this is actually taken off of your your instagram bio artist activist or zaddy zaddy I, I'm picking Zaddy. Today, I feel like a Zaddy more than an artist and an activist. Zaddy is like when you get, it's like an older, look, it can apply to any man. Any older man with a couple grays can be a Zaddy. And currently, I've, I have a pandemic, my, my pandemic hair. I've got dreadlocks spilling out of a baseball cap. I've got a mustache. I'm in my sweatsuit. I'm feeling like a Zaddy. It's different than a daddy. A daddy is kind of, oh, some days I'm a daddy when I'm clean cut and feeling nice and fresh. Some days when I'm feeling a little rough and scruff, it's zaddy. Did that mm, do it? I, Did that explain I, it? No, it does. And I'm, I, I'm relating. I'm like, I, I think I've, I have uh, a little zaddiness going on occasionally myself. Um, Even the way and- you say it, isn't it fun to say? <laughs> It's fun, though I have to say I sound so straight when I say it. <laughs> no, no, it was a little on the verge. I wasn't sure. The way you just said it, it was a little on the verge. And that's the theater <laughs> side of me coming up and growing up in New Orleans, I think. Um, okay, the next one the Next one I have is uh, Twitter or Instagram? Take Instagram. On. I cannot okay. deal with Twitter. I can't deal with t- Twitter. is so noisy it is the no- it's like going into a rave every second of the day it's a rave on twitter you cannot i can't there's neon lights i cannot deal with twitter i'll read it i sometimes i tweet but the most most of the time i just oh god the noise level of twitter is it's too much okay the next one is um kaylee and big bang theory or kaylee and eight simple rules pick one that's it that's it <laughs> Kaylee, the flight attendant. It's it's honestly it's the best work of her life. It is it is she is doing the best work of her career on the flight attendant. I'm very proud of her. Okay, this next one I do apologize for. Oh and, crap! Uh, okay, oh, no. <laughs> kids or chickens? Pick one. Well, chickens are just way easier. I mean, it's a lot of poop, <laughs> but you don't have to pick it up. It's like the amount of poop diapers going on in my house right now. You cannot imagine. I've got a four-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. It is so <gasps> intense. I oh love my, my kids. Lord. Yeah. You are in, like, Poop Central right now. No, it's, that like, is... we're at the height of poop. It's just, it's... Height it's... of poop. <laughs> no, we're at the height of poop. And we tried the potty trainer, two-and-a-half-year-old. He's so sweet. I mean, I'm obsessed with him. Um, but he... He has no interest in potty training. And we're, like, because we have no parents, we have no friends right now. Like, we, no one can help us. I'm like, we ain't potty training this kid in the middle of a pandemic. It's just not happening. I, I, just, I, can't, <laughs> I can't. We're just trying to keep him alive right now. Just feed him and keep him alive. That's it. 
chickens. Is I would say, does the eggs thing maybe complicate the poop situation a little bit too? <laughs> it's just I there's I, I just feel like a gay farmer these days. I just got so many pigs <laughs> and so many chickens and so much poop. It's just a lot. It's a lot. It's my best life though. It actually sounds pretty amazing, to be completely honest. Um, all right, so the last one I have is Pittsburgh or Los Angeles. Pick one. Pittsburgh. I love Pittsburgh. I mean, I'm a I'm a like a Pittsburgher through and through. And, and the thing about my hometown is that it's getting better and better. Like when I go home to visit, I love that the city feels it's getting bigger, but it always feels small. LA feel I love LA. LA feels enormous and Pittsburgh feels like it's never going to ever get enormous. It just feels like it's a big city, it's got amazing sports teams and it will always feel like hometown. I want to thank Griffin for chatting with me and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch The Flight Attendant on HBO Max. Also, please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.